Hi again, everybody. This is the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast, the destination for high performers. I'm Jamie Allison. And and if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that we talk to top performers in a bunch of different fields, people doing really cool things in their niche. So we talk to CEOs, we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to athletes, uh, we talk to scientists. So some real variety in the people that we talk to. But the one common thing is that they're really doing some big things in their area. And we're going to try to take away some items that uh, we can translate into our own lives. And I know today is going to be one of those days. Just before we jump into our uh, exciting interview today, um, a couple of uh, sponsors that we want to note is right now, a lot of people are, are starting to finally make some travel plans and, and things that they want to do over the next little while. Um, one thing to, to take a look at is is Wakefield Mill Inn and Spa. And it's actually by Ottawa in in Canada for those listeners who uh, maybe are in different parts of the world. Um, But uh, a great place to go to. It's a small kind of quaint place just outside and it's by the Gatineau Forest, this really cool area with lots of trails and things to do. A couple of our guests actually from the past, um, uh, there's, uh, if you are uh, Spartan Race fans, you'd know the the power couple in in Spartan Race are actually both Canadians, um, Ryan Atkins and Lindsay Webster. They stay there not too long ago and and uh, use that as their home base to go out and do all their training in the in the Gatineau Forest and all the the hills there and everything too so a really cool spot if you haven't checked it out definitely do that it's wakefieldmill.com and the other one if you're trying to uh, if you are a an organization maybe just starting out or you are a larger organization that's just trying to figure out how things have changed um, thanks to the pandemic. One of the things to look at is maybe some of your talent processes and Epitome HR is a boutique consulting company that can help you look at some of those talent processes and, and how you find talent and maybe how you move them through the organization. If you go onto their website, uh, it's www.epitomehr.com and I know they have an HR assessment on there that you can take a look and see if it uh, if it's right for your organization. So that actually brings us into uh, our guest today. I'm really excited. Uh, I know that um, we're going to have a really cool conversation. Jen Lofgren is the founder of Insido. It's a leadership and executive coaching organization, and they help executives unlock their leadership potential and also help them grow into real inspired, authentic leaders. And, and we'll talk about some of that today. She is one of the only, one of only 60 recipients of the esteemed Mastered Certified Coach designation in Canada and 5% of coaches worldwide. So in an exclusive uh, uh, area there, she's been a partner with the Women's Executive Network, a contributor to the Forbes Coaches Council, and was named Entrepreneur of the Year through Distinctive Women's Magazine. So um, really a pleasure to have you uh, with us today, Jenna. Thank you for taking the time for us. Yeah, Jamie, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's our pleasure, and and I know that um, you know people who uh, have followed your career now, kind of the the organization and and your profile now. Um, but why don't we step back a little bit? Because um, from what I understand, I, I don't think being an entrepreneur was the absolute first thing and immediate kind of thing that you wanted to do. Um, why don't you work walk us through your journey a little bit to get here? Oh boy, well, it's been a a really twisty path on my journey, and I I feel like the um, I know the stereotypical uh, image that you see on the web of there's the the thinking about your career and the linear line, and then there's the windy path that got there. I mean, my first job was uh, I was a mechanic in the military in the Canadian uh, reserves, and that was my first job as a teenager. And then uh, I ended up in a variety of you know early. Uh, student type jobs. And then I ended up in university 
fucking psychology and I didn't have a lot of support around me and I wasn't I was really struggling and I took some time off from university to regroup figure out what I'm going to do and not rack up my student loans and I ended up in an accidental uh, technology career for 11 years <laughs> I spent 11 years as a network architect working on international and national computer networks and people today they're like really you what yeah it was the best foundation for the work that I do today because I was working on projects that were uh, national, international, but projects that were being built for lots of other things to go on top of and they would be in place for 10 years, 15 years. Sometimes I was pulling out 30-year-old stuff and recognizing the impact of what I was putting in now wasn't just for today, just for the future, but you couldn't touch it all. You couldn't see it all. You had to really understand business strategy help the business make decisions, even though I was an expert in one area that gave me a business acumen, strategic thinking, critical thinking, and my ability to really partner with others in making decisions rather than being the one to make them all myself and implement them uh, through others. That I got to a point in that career, though, I had great success. I stuck out like a sore thumb because <laughs> I was one of the very few women yeah. at the time that did that kind of work, and I wasn't fulfilled in my career. And I thought, okay, well, what is it? Is it I lost my job in the dot-com bust and I was a consultant for a number of years. Well, maybe it's becoming an employee again. I've been in this organization for a year as a consultant. Maybe I like my team and so on, but maybe I need to become an employee. And I became an employee for a little while, for a couple of years. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And it's not my team, it's not the company. <gasps> what if I don't like the core of what I do, but I happen to be good at it? And that's what it was. And I went on the journey of, if not this, then what? And it led me to human resources and thinking about what are the things that I like to do off the side of my desk? And uh, what if I can make that the core of what I do? And I went back to school full-time into human resources with much greater success, with a great support system around me at that time, and came out of Mount Royal University with an HR designation, with no experience in HR, lots of experience in IT, and became an employee again in an IT organization where I understood their core business, but was able to add value from an HR expertise background and make connections between the business and HR. And the area of work that I was focused on was leadership team and culture. Yeah. And after a couple of years, that had really turned around and partnering with the leadership team and the part of the organization I supported. And then I got to another point of, hmm, now what? My role could change to broad generalist HR, and that's not what I love to do. Or I could layer on professional coach training, and I could do this work externally, doing leadership, leadership culture, and teamwork. And that's what I sought out to do. I layered on professional coach training, and then I set out to go start my business. And, oh, little detour, I took some time off to have a family. Oh, bad timing. Uh, <laughs> I have a baby on the way. So I put things on hold for a little bit. And so yeah. that I came back and I started in Saito, uh when my daughter was six months old. And I set out to be an independent consultant doing HR, leadership and teamwork. And yeah. within a year, it became very clear that the way that I like to and create the greatest impact I care about was through focusing on the leadership work and the team and culture and all those other pieces come into place if I really support the top leader in their development and that they're well-developed and loving their 
work that those around them will start to experience the same. And so 12 years later, it's turned into this amazing business with a great team that we get to work with an incredible number of leaders across North America to help them make an impact every day. Yeah. I mean, and there's the, there's, there's even that um, part of, of the people that you work with must be really inspiring for yourself as well, because, um, you know, although you're helping bring out the best in them, they probably also do a little bit of that for you as well. I would think. They all do. It's sometimes it's like, really, I get paid to do this. I get paid to work with these amazing people and support them. But at the same time, I can be in a coaching session with a leader or a leadership team. And I am learning so much from them and so inspired by hearing their purpose and their passion and the impact that they're having in the world. And I'm always astounded at how much I am privileged to learn and be inspired by the wonderful people that I get to work with and to follow their story and witness the things that they overcome inspires me to keep doing my own work. Now, when you started your company, my understanding is too, that you started it at a, a pretty tough time economically, which, which I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now might also think, oh, okay, well, here's some parallels. But, um, but how was that? I mean, you know, there's a certain resiliency that probably gets built up from, from building something when it, it can be difficult as well. Oh, it sucked. (laughs) 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 And in hindsight, it was the very best time to start a business. And what was hard is I remember after four months coming home, talking to my husband, I said, I feel like a coffee socialite. He said, what do you mean? I I have a lot of coffee. I visit and I chat a lot and I have no business. (laughs) And it was little by little persisting through that, that one person I talked to one week, suggested I talk to someone and then another person the next week suggested I talk with the same person and that person said oh well I trust Steve I trust Martha we gotta talk I don't need anything but I trust them both and if they say you need to talk to Jen well I need to talk to Jen and then that was the momentum of just starting to get that first connection that next connection at a time where there was no business to be had. And I just kept showing up saying, that's okay, let's have a conversation. And when everyone else was saying, oh, you have no business. Okay, we won't have a conversation. We go, you have no business, you know, work for me. That's okay, let's talk anyway. And I was able to build relationships at a time when people were turning away from them. I was leaning into them. And as things started to come around economy wise, work started to come because I had already built relationship without expectation. And that's what's led me to growth and stability through other downturns to not have um, as wild a ride. Although I I lie uh, in 2015 with another downturn, we did lose 70% of our clients that were energy and energy services. But in 2016, we built that all back within a year and grew. But it came from just continuing to reach out and have conversation without expectation and starting in a business in a downturn is the best business school that you can have. Anybody can start a business in a boom, but to maintain your business through downturns, the gift for me was having to learn how to grow a sustainable business in a difficult environment so that I would continue to do those things no matter what the environment was. And that set me up for success and inside of up for success through many downturns. We've had our biggest year in business in the last year with COVID. Yeah. It's been unbelievable. 
well, and, and what you do, I mean, if people know you and you've built your network, I mean, obviously you're helping them through a situation that's pretty difficult for anyone who's maybe leading an organization. So, um, and I know I'll, I'll ask you about kind of the, the clients from that end, but from from your end, where does that where does that resiliency come from you uh, for you? Um, because you know, going through that, a lot of people would have been frustrated and and kind of decided, okay, I'll just I'll go back and get a job somewhere. Um, you know, for you internally, where do you think that comes from? Uh, it comes from having a really difficult uh, few years as a teenager. Uh, I went through a really difficult time. I was on my own at fifteen. And went through uh, having to go, well, nobody else is going to come rescue me. It's up to me. And that's how I ended up with a job in the military. Is I was looking for a stable job. And I was inspired by a teacher that taught automotives. And, oh, I'll go do that. And But it was really early on that I recognized that it's up to me. If I don't like my situation, my circumstances, what's the baby step that I'm going to take to get more of what I want? And I can focus on woe is me. And don't get me wrong, there are times where I wallow and go, woe is me, but then cut it off. Of, okay, so now I've had my little woe is me party. And now what do I want to do next? And what, what's the first baby step that I can take and continuing to direct my mindset and attention towards what's my part, rather than being focused on poor me. And that's what's really helped me and growing a business is continuing to go back to what are the choices that I'm making and what is in my control. I might not be able to choose my circumstances. But what am I choosing to do with them to get closer to what I want? And now, I guess a branch off of that is you you do that for other people and help them do that now and, and recognize some of those things. So you work with a lot of executives, high performers. Um, what is, what do you see as the most common? I know this is a loaded question because it's, it's pretty large, but what is, what is probably the most common struggle that, um, that you see them having right now? And, and how are you kind of helping them through that? One of the big struggles is, you know, especially in the last year is just the volume of work that they're dealing with and feelings of uncertainty. And I've been talking to a lot of leaders about the world being more uncertain today than ever. And challenging that, it's like, no, it's not. It's always been uncertain. We're now more acutely aware of how uncertain and volatile the world is and that our assumptions aren't necessarily as stable as we believed before. And we now know a level of uncertainty that we can't unknow. And helping them put down a little bit more of that hustle and that pile of work on them and giving permission to unplug and disconnect so that you can recharge and get energy to come back in with a full gas tank. We're talking a lot about resilience. I was talking to a leader recently about he wants to be more resilient. And I said, you know, right now you'll look like a pancake ball, but a ball to bounce back is is round. And in order to uh, bounce back, it actually flattens when it hits the ground and then goes to maintain its shape. And that's how it bounces back up. But if you start like a pancake, when you hit the ground, it's like just a splat. There is no bounce. And so if you're continuing to give energy to everybody and everything else and not taking any time to slow down and regain energy to be resilient, well, resilience is coming in with a full gas tank and supporting them with looking at not only taking time off or slowing down, but also looking at 
Are you getting, giving all your energy into reacting to problems and all the fires coming your way? Or are you letting them burn a little bit more so you can also spend some time on the strategic and important things that create long-term impact that can also give you fulfillment and energy to put into putting out those fires, but also create less fires in the future. So that's where we're going lately. And the other thing that's coming up is a lot of team dynamics in executive teams and not necessarily toxic, but what can we do to be moving from a really good executive team to a great executive team to be able to take our company to whatever our next evolution or next level is and to be able to create an even bigger impact in the world. And, you know, you're talking about um, how things have, have changed even in, in what a CEO is, uh, is looking at for themselves to make sure they're taking care of themselves and building that resilience. Um, I'm assuming that uh, there are a lot of things that are happening even in organizations because people generally have maybe um, more of a connection with, okay, family has become very important. Balance has become a little more important. Um, remote versus in, in organizations has become more important. Are, are you seeing some of that? Is that something that, that those individuals are, are struggling with as well about how to, how to allow, uh, how to manage that, I guess, in their teams when everybody maybe is a little more self-aware of a, kind of a, a whole life approach that they might not have been before? Yeah, it's, um, that's coming to the table too. And there's some discussion of, well, is it really because COVID and all the pressures that teams and individuals are dealing with? And a lot of curiosity and wondering, well, what is what are the priorities going to be after the pandemic? Mm-hmm. And how do we support uh, our teams with their workload around navigating this change? And how have, a lot of uncertainty and question of how have those values and the importance of family changed as things start to open up? how much will they revert back to where they were before? Is it temporary? And how much are we going to need to shift as an organization to support people and more of what they want when they've also had this very difficult year, but also luxury year to be able to be connected with their family more because there's been nothing else to do but spend time with your family is develop those family relationships in new ways. And I am talking to a number of leaders that have Uh, young families, but very big executive roles and not wanting to give up something that they didn't know that they could have, that they've gained in the last year. And when I returned to uh, to the workplace in a different capacity, what is that new capacity and what are the boundaries that I want to start developing for the new norms of how I show up in the workplace and how do I help my team with that while also managing the pressures of Uh, creating results and executing on our strategy and the anxiety that can come with letting go just of a little of that drive and putting a little bit more emphasis on relationships and culture and how to find the delicate balance between the two. I believe you can have it all. You just need to let go of the things that you think you have to be. And that's being liked, being right and in control. Wow, that's uh, well. Uh, those three things are, are really important, and for a for an executive, and, and actually as a coach, um, being able to get through to an executive on on those three items 
they have to be pretty vulnerable uh, with you in order to do that. Um, it, it'd be interesting to know, you know, how do you, how do you build that relationship? How do you do that as a coach so that these high performers that a lot of people listening are probably, well, I wouldn't want to tell somebody that, you know, how I really feel about A, B, C, and D, because, you know, I am the top person and they assume that I should be this way. So you might be that, that conduit for them. How do you, how do you set that type of relationship up with somebody? Well, I think the first is coming in with uh, a mindset of the person that I'm speaking with. I like to say that Mark isn't a CEO. Mark is Mark first and happens to also work as a CEO. And seeing the person in front of me for the person that they are, not the role that they happen to work within. And really focusing on all of them, not just them at work. And if... Debbie happens to be a CFO, not treating Debbie like a CFO, but really asking all the broader questions to be invested in what they're dealing with. But then also I talk with new clients about a fit for a coach and the fit for coach is someone that you feel connected with and you feel you can be completely honest with put everything on the table that you're dealing with and struggling with in this confidential, impartial environment, but not so comfortable. You don't think I'll push you because mm-hmm. I want you to grow. And I might have some hard conversations with you. In fact, I know I will. I'm going to call you out on things, the things that nobody else wants to tell you that I'm going to tell you in the kindest way that I can. But if I need to clean up, I'll clean up because it's in service of you and getting you more of what you want. And sometimes I might make a mess in trying to get us there. And again, that's part of working through our relationship so that I can be in complete service of you. I've had to, uh, to be brave and talk with leaders about their dress and how it might be eroding their credibility or what they're saying. And then the stories they're telling and what they're doing or talking through a 360 feedback where there's some things that are difficult for them and pushing them to get past all the color or the story and the written feedback to look for the themes to really own, well, what's that impact it's having and getting in the way of what I want, not what all those other people want. Tell the hard talk about what do you want and how's this keeping you from getting it? And if you can't give me the permission to be bold with you and still bring everything and put it on the table, then I might not be the right fit coach for you to push you to get you more of what you want, not what I want for you, more of what you want. Now, I know I've read that one of the, the top leadership qualities that you, um, I, I think, uh, had, had said is humility, I think. Um, and, and maybe just talk to us a little bit about that, because that is something that, you know, can um, sometimes isn't always seen at the, the top of the house in organizations. And, and how do you see that as being something that's, that's you know, important to, to being able to be effective in your role? Well, I think it's important to mention that humility is not being passive. And I've talked with leaders of, oh, but I'm trying to be a humble leader. There's a difference between bragging and humility. Bragging is I am better than. Humility is I did that and it turned out great. And here's all the other people that help support us all in getting there. So it's okay to own your part. The humility also is asking questions and not having all the answers. Humility requires a level of vulnerability to say, okay, we set the goal here and we're getting really close to it. And 
uh, second quarter and letting go of upping the goal before allowing yourself and your team to arrive and letting that be good enough then and celebrating it and giving appreciation to others around you, but also accepting gratitude and appreciation yourself. And humility is admitting that you've made a mistake and being willing to clean it up and work through hard conversations and really listen. And humility is key to listening because it's acknowledging that I don't have all the answers. Not I might not have all the answers or I might be wrong. There are parts that I am wrong and looking for continual learning and humility is essential for your growth as a leader to accept and acknowledge that you have a great deal to learn, even though you've got to a great level of success already, that there's so much more for you to learn, not only in leadership and business, but in life to get to a next level of development and success. Um, you have been very, um, um, you know, instrumental in, uh, you know, women's networks and, and promoting kind of women in, in business. Um, there are a lot of stats right now that are pointing to that women have been disproportionately affected by what has happened uh, economically with the pandemic and, and what's happening in businesses. Um, I guess, first of all, is that something that, that you have seen? But the other side might be how do how do organizations really kind of keep their eye on that, especially at senior leadership tables and things like that, um, as as their focus is maybe changing a little bit just because of how acute things have been in the last little while. Well, I don't know for sure if women have been disproportionately impacted because I've talked to so many leaders that are struggling right now and that they're just saying, I'm really tired. I'm really, really tired. And at the same time, I reflect on a female leader this week that is a single mom. Her son's 17, has one year left in high school and is working till one o'clock in the morning and is tired and feels that if she speaks up and pushes too hard on needing some more balance and more resources and support when there's budget constraints, that it could impact her job. It could impact further promotability and a lot of fear showing up right now. And it pulls on me because I wanted to get in there and rescue and help make everything better. And the reality is nobody can make anything better except that leader and speaking up for what they need. And you can't do it by yourself. You need a support team around you. You need a coach to talk to, but a coach isn't even enough. You need some peers to talk to, to understand what they're struggling with and how they're navigating that. And you also need some advisors to really talk with senior executives to open up their eyes to their lived experience in their organization may not be the lived experience of the leaders in their organization and really digging in to understand whether it's women or other minority groups or potential disadvantaged groups in your organization really listening with back to that humility what am i overlooking and what don't i understand that could create more of the culture and experience that you want in our organization not necessarily what i'm experiencing and what i want but really digging into listening what do they need and what do they want so that they can be their best not only for you but for themselves and for the other people in their life, whether it's their family or partners or the communities that they volunteer and serve, 
how can they continue to be their best in their life, whatever is important to your team members. And a lot of what you were talking about there and, and have through today have been about um, being more self-aware as a leader. And, um, uh, you know, uh, if, if we were to say, and, and we wrap these up always about having kind of two or three action items that somebody who's listening um, can at least take some action to, to move things forward. And, and I thought, especially considering what we've talked about, um, do you have a, a couple of um, tips or, or things that somebody can do if they really want to, as a leader, start to really be a little more self-aware of their, their impacts and, and what their leadership style um, is? Yeah. Uh, So the first one is asking yourself this question that comes from uh, David Emerald and Donna Zajon. And it is, where am I putting my focus? Am I putting my focus on reacting to problems? And I don't mean just addressing problems. Am I reacting to them at a default, at a fear that I have no choice? Am I focusing on putting out fires and reacting to problems? Or am I putting my focus on what I'm generating and creating for the future and taking a baby step towards more of what I want. So that's the first one, raising your awareness is continually asking yourself that question every single day. The next one is think about who are you spending your time with and asking yourself the question, am I spending time with people who are building me up or am I spending time on people that are taking my energy or that I'm giving my energy to? And a lot of leaders are spending all of their time giving their energy to others. And they can be great leaders that are servant leaders and not also filling their own gas tank. So asking yourself that question, am I spending time with people who are building me up and giving me energy? And then the last one is a statistic that has stuck with me in hearing it from another uh, thought leader in this leadership development space is Tasha Yurik. Some of her work has uncovered that 85% of leaders think they're self-aware, but in reality, through assessments and other research, she's discovered only 15% truly are. So Jamie, you and I are probably part of the uh, 85% that truly aren't aware. So coming with that assumption of I'm likely part of the 85% that really is not self-aware. And then what do I do about it? One of the best tools that I've uncovered in really getting reliable, candid feedback is going through a 360 degree leadership assessment that measures your development and where you think you are and being reflected back on from others, what your impact is, no matter what your intention, what is the impact of how you're showing up in the world and in soliciting feedback that way, it ends up being a safe, anonymous, confidential way for people to give you feedback. And it's amazing what you'll learn as a result. So if you've never done one, I highly encourage all leaders to engage in one at some point. Yeah, I, I and you say the 360 part. I think that is that is absolutely a huge impactor if you are a leader when you see what the reality is and and you do have to be vulnerable you do have to be open about it but it also means that you're not just um, hearing what people will tell you through a filter of you being the boss as well or you being you know at a different level Um, so it it is a huge impact so um, you know again some some great stuff today Uh, thank you so much for sharing so much about your own personal story but also um, some of the the tips and things that you're doing with um, senior leaders and, and uh, people who are doing great things out there as well. Um, 
really, really important. If um, people are trying to uh, find out more about your company and a little more about um, what uh, what you're doing in, in your own thought leadership, what are the best ways of doing that, Jen? Uh, our website is yeah. insito.ca, or they can get in touch with me by email at jen, with two N's, at yeah. insito.ca. Awesome. Okay. And if you haven't hit uh, subscribe on the podcast, make sure you do that right now. We have amazing guests every week, just like Jen. So, uh, um, you know, make sure that you do that. And, you know, again, thank you very much for coming on and uh, hopefully we can do it again uh, sometime soon. Sounds great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. All right. And we'll talk to everybody again on Big Idea, Big Moves. 